open up to Galatians chapter 2. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn it on, open it up, whatever you need to do today. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 11 today. Um, I want to say thank you, uh, those of you here, those of you online. I was driving yesterday and just want to say thank you for the privilege that it is for me to stand here each week and teach the Bible. Like that just is one of those things that just kind of hits you occasionally of what the honor of that is and that you trust me. Um, with that position in your life. And so just thank you for that. And uh, thank you for putting up with me each week as we study God's word. Secondly, um, we did make the transition this week that if you're comfortable and you'd like to, you can take your face covering off uh, while you're actually in this room. And um, it's so good to see most of your faces again. Some of y'all put the mask back on, but the rest of you, man, this is so good to see you, to see you smile. Now I'll know who's actually like in tune with me, who's falling asleep, um, who doesn't really want to be here. Because some of y'all just got this look about you when you're and <laughs> just focusing. And so it is so good to see you again. It's been like six months since we've been able, since we've been able to teach uh, to actual faces. And so that's, that's really encouraging. Galatians chapter 2, I read a quote this morning that I thought was good that amped me up. It said, heaven is cheering, hell is fearing, Jesus' return is nearing, so let's preach on. And I am pumped today. So stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. Galatians 2, we're going to read verses 11 through 19. God's Word says this, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men from James, certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and he separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Verse 15, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's a good word. Even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being, being will, will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. And if I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Lord, thank you so much for the journey that we've been on thus far in the book of Galatians. And Lord, I pray today that these verses, Lord, there's so much packed in this passage, that these verses would be an encouragement to your church. God, that you would build us up and teach us and mold us and shape us into Christ-likeness today. God, would you give us the ears we need to hear a word from heaven, hearts that are soft, ready, and receptive to hear from you today. God, would you help us not only hear your word, but live it out the rest of our week as well. Lord, what good is it to hear a word from you if we do nothing with it? God, may we be doers of the word. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that if after church today I walked up to you and I said this statement, I think you're a hypocrite. 
Can you imagine if I walked up to you right after church, got nose to nose with you and just said that one simple phrase to you, I think that you are a hypocrite. You see, if you're a sane person in this room today, if you have a sane bone in your body, if I were to come up to you or anybody were to come up to you and make that claim against you that you are a hypocrite, likely that statement is going to rub you the wrong way as it should. Why is that? It's because nobody likes a hypocrite, number one, and nobody likes to be accused of being a hypocrite. There's something about us where we have this expectation, something about us that has an expectation that uh, people are going to act in accordance with the things they claim to believe, right? If I claim to believe something, my life should live in accordance with that. The way I live should be a reflection of the things that I believe. And if somebody claims to believe something, claims something to be true, and their life doesn't align with that belief, you and I see that as a problem. Why? Because that is hypocrisy. I can remember years ago, I can't remember exactly where, but I had heard the origins, the supposed origins of this word hypocrite. We're all familiar with that word hypocrite. The word hypocrite actually in, in ancient Greek actually meant somebody that was an actor. What was interesting about it is in ancient Greek theater, there were people who would play multiple roles in these different theatrical performances. And in order to do that, they would wear different masks to differentiate the roles that they were playing. When I was this person, I'd wear this mask. When I was that person, I'd wear that mask. And depending on the role that they had to play, they would wear different masks. You see where that goes? Over the centuries, what happened is that that word, to meaning actor, morphed into our modern day understanding of what it is to be a hypocrite. It's being something that you are not or not being who you actually claim to be, who you claim to be not linking up with who you are. We've probably heard phrases like this, make sure you're the kind of person that practices what you preach. That's the title of today's message. Make sure your walk matches your talk. We all know what it means to be a hypocrite, and no one likes a hypocrite, and nobody likes to be accused of being one. Well, here in Galatians chapter 2, if you want to look down at that with me again, starting in verse 11, we see here an encounter where Peter and Paul got into a little bit of a scuffle together, starting here in verse 11. Because what Paul is doing is he's confronting some hypocrisy that was found in the life of Peter in regards to the Jewish law, in regards to salvation. And what we see here is Paul is continuing to dig his heels into the ground in this letter to the Galatians to really answer that one question, how does a person get right with God? And if somebody stands opposed to that question with something other than the gospel, Paul stands up to them. If you remember, we've said this over and over these past several weeks. The Judaizers had come in and deceived the Galatians, believing that salvation was found not only in Jesus, but also salvation was also found in, in self-effort through adherence to Jewish law, custom, and circumcision. And Paul continually steps in and he reminds us of these moments where he steps in and he answers that question, what does it take for a person to get right with God? Jesus. And if there's anything else you add to it, Paul stands up and he's like, you are wrong. Knock it off. I love Paul. Paul says often what we're all thinking. It's Jesus and nothing more. 
Last week, we saw in the beginning of Galatians chapter 2, the story of the Jerusalem Council. The Jerusalem Council, Paul talked about it in the first part of Galatians, looking back on an event that occurred in Acts chapter 15. If you remember the Jerusalem Council, it was there that Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James, and also John. Remember, James was not the Apostle James, but James, the half-brother of Jesus. This group of church leaders came together with the local church and came to an agreement and wrote this basic like letter that was sent out to all the churches that salvation was found only in Jesus and that Jewish custom, practice, and circumcision were not necessary for one's salvation. Salvation is found in only Jesus Christ. And they wanted to emphasize that now that the Galatians and also the Gentiles were part of God's family. But now in verse 11 of Galatians 2, we see a different dispute taking place. The first 10 verses were one dispute. Now there's a different argument taking place. Here's what's interesting about this argument. It's only mentioned here in Galatians 2. We actually don't see this scuffle occurring in the book of Acts. So we have to ask the question then, when did this actually occur? When did this kind of argument take place? Here's what we believe. If you're a history buff, this is free. If you don't care about this stuff, just chill out for 30 seconds, okay? We think this event between Peter and Paul took place after Acts 13 and 14, the first missionary journey. If you remember, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they were sent out by the church in Antioch to go start these churches, started the Galatian churches. It was wonderful. Had a little bit of uh, turmoil while they were over there, but they planted churches, came back to Antioch, reported all of God's activity. Then in Acts 15.1, we see the Judaizers show up in Antioch, which provokes the events of the Jerusalem Council there in Acts 15, salvation, Jewish works, all that kind of good stuff. When did this kind of argument between Peter and Paul take place? It took place between the end of Acts 14 and the beginning of Acts 15. If you were to plug a verse in there, don't do that. You can't do that to the Bible. But if we were supposed to and we wanted to, you could plug this events of Galatians 2, 11 through 19, right there between Acts 14, 28 and Acts 15, verse 1. That's where this took place. So this argument between Peter and Paul took place before the Jerusalem Council, but after the first missionary journey. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes when you read the Bible, we want to read it in sequential order. So we see the first 10 verses of Galatians 2, and we're like, we thought this was all settled. Then Peter shows up and acts like a dummy. That's because this event took place before what we just read last week. All right, so when you read it in that context and that understanding, now you start to understand a little bit of what's going on here. So what was this scuffle all about? Three words I want you to write down today. First, the confrontation. Don't you love confrontation? It's the best. If you love confrontation, you're weird, by the way. All right. Verse 11, look at this again. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. That's some strong language. Why? Because he stood condemned. What was Peter doing? Why did Paul have to stand up? He was regularly eating with the Gentiles, we see there in Galatians chapter 2. But when men from James showed up, here's the paraphrase, Peter's like, peace out, I'm gone. I'm going to go hang out with my buddies. I don't want to associate with the Gentiles no more. And Paul says, that's a problem. Like, that's an issue that we need to address. So, let's break this down verse by verse. Verse 11. Peter, at some point, had made this journey from Jerusalem, which was where he called home, that's where he was a leader, now to Antioch to do what? He wanted to see God's activity in this church. There were reports now that were circulating among the churches of God's activity among the Gentiles and what was being done through Paul and Barnabas. So Peter shows up there to see what's going on. And at some point during Peter's visit there to Antioch, 
he engages in this hypocrisy, and Paul has to confront him. What, what was going on here? Again, let me break this down for us a little bit. Peter, who was a Jew, remember there's two kinds of people in the world. There's Jews and those that aren't. Those are called Gentiles. So if you're in this room today and you're not a Jew, congratulations. You can put it on your bio on Facebook. You're a Gentile, all right? Peter was a Jew, but when he arrived in Antioch to see God's activity, the Bible says here in Galatians 2, he spent a considerable amount of time with Gentile believers. Doing what? Learning, living, eating, hanging out with people who were not Jewish. This was new stuff for Peter. He was excited about it. Peter was a living, breathing example. This is really important stuff here of what it looked like to live in unity in the local church despite diversity, right? Jews weren't Gentiles and Gentiles weren't Jews. These were different groups of people. Yet the gospel united them and Peter was a living, breathing example of that. Essentially, there were ethnic differences that were united under the gospel and they were all one. How did this happen for Peter? How do you get a Jew to understand this? Flip back to Acts chapter 10 if you want to in your Bible. Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, you see where this kind of all started to make sense for Peter. Peter in Acts chapter 10, we see, um, had an interaction with a Gentile guy named Cornelius. And a little bit before that, Peter had a vision from God where this sheet was coming down from heaven and it was full of all of these uh, foods that Jews were not supposed to eat. So like bacon, congratulations. You can thank Acts chapter 10 for the fact that you can have chocolate-covered bacon now. Praise the Lord, right? If you like shellfish, congratulations. Shrimp cocktail was on the sheet. Like stuff like that that the Jews were not supposed to eat were down on that sheet. What was God doing with that vision? He was showing Peter that God's kingdom had expanded beyond the Jewish people but was now open to the Gentiles. And so right after that vision... Peter gets linked up with Cornelius, who was a Gentile. Peter ends up preaching the gospel to them, and a whole mess of people get saved. Like, it was just wild. What was God doing? Hey, Peter, it's bigger than the Jews, bro. Like, yeah, they, they were the chosen people. Like, they're God's nation. But the kingdom is bigger than the Jews. And so in Acts chapter 10, Peter had a front row seat to God's activity among the Gentiles, and now we see in Galatians 2 that it altered the way Peter lived. He was starting to understand God's family is bigger than just the Jewish people. So Paul says, look, he showed up in Antioch. Peter was hanging out. They were eating bacon sandwiches together. Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. Drinking Pepsi. They were playing cornhole, having Christmas tree cakes. Like Peter was just, dude, check this out. Y'all ready for this? This past week. Uh, we had this guy come here to church to try to sell us telephone service, which I didn't know that was a thing anymore, like landline stuff, right? Um, so Joe and I got to engage him in like some spiritual conversation. You know what sealed the deal and he hung out with us for like 20 minutes? Bottle water, Christmas tree cakes. <laughs> because we still have a supply back in the office that don't expire until like April of next year. <laughs> We've already had them for seven months and they're still good. Right, so God can use Christmas tree cakes for his glory. But Peter was there hanging out, eating Christmas tree cakes, drinking Pepsis, playing cornhole, right? just doing life with the Gentiles. Man, that's such a good lesson for us in that moment when you read Acts chapter 2 right there, verse 11. 
Peter shows us in that moment that no matter your ethnic background, no matter your social status, no matter your financial status, no matter your vocational choice, no matter what difference we may seemingly possess in the local church, that the gospel unites us. That our differences don't matter because we agree on Jesus. We said that statement uh, several weeks ago. The statement was the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You remember us saying that? It's that reminder of it doesn't matter where we're from. None of that, none of that matters because we agree on Jesus. And because we agree on Jesus, we're, we're family. And we see that being lived out here through Peter. Yet Paul says, the first part of verse 12 here in Galatians chapter 2, that at some point during Peter's time there in Antioch, that believers from Jerusalem, men from James is what he says, showed up there in Antioch. And what happened when they showed up? Separation. Peter started to withdraw himself. When the men from James, when those Jews from Jerusalem showed up, Peter separated himself from the Gentiles. First, he was regularly associating, and now he's withdrawing, only spending time with people who are like him. Woo! You see that? Be careful, Christian. Don't only spend time with people who are like you. That's, that's a good word, goodness. What's going on? Peter's actions were evidence of what was actually going on in his heart. What was Peter concerned about? What would the Jews think of me? These men from James showed up. If I continue to hang out with only the Gentiles, what are they going to think of me? What's their perception of me going to be? And then there's a really important phrase here that I don't want us to miss here in verse 13. After he separates himself, what does God's word say in verse 13? The rest of the Jews joined him. The rest of the Jews joined his, Paul just calls it like it is, his hypocrisy. And then he goes one step further. Not only did the rest of the Jews join him, but then Paul goes on to say, and even Barnabas was led astray. Y'all, here's a lesson for us this morning. God's been working this one in my heart this week. Peter's actions didn't only affect him. They had ripples. That's a reminder for us this, this morning that your decisions never only have personal implications. They affect other people, even in the context of the church. Every decision you make will have implications that go beyond you and affect somebody beyond you. We have to be the kind of people that fight for unity in the local church because there's going to be a whole lot of things that are going to happen like this that are going to seek to divide us rather than unite us. The longer a church exists, the more division that it is likely to have. We have to guard against it and fight for unity. And sometimes some of us have a natural bent, hear me on this, a natural bent towards division, controversy, and separation. We're wired that way. Guard yourself against it. Guard yourself against what's going on there. Y'all, not only did Peter's actions lead the rest of the Jews away, it led Barnabas away. Barnabas was on the first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14. Barnabas was there when the Galatian churches were planted Barnabas was there in Acts chapter 15 when they were sharing the stories of God's activity and what God had done among the Gentiles. Yet because of Peter's actions, Paul says even Barnabas was led astray. And now they were divided over tradition and custom because Peter couldn't let go of those things for the sake of the gospel. I thought this was an interesting phrase I read this week. The gospel they claimed in principle, salvation by faith in Jesus, wasn't being lived out in practice. 
You see, they wanted the Gentiles to do what they were doing. That's what Peter wanted, even though just a few verses earlier, Peter was hanging out with everybody. Don't let the gospel that you claim to believe in principle not be lived out in practice, because when we do, we're on the same side as Peter in this story. If I claim to believe in Jesus, put my faith in Jesus, and say the gospel saves, yet that doesn't overflow to how I live, then I'm guilty of the same hypocrisy that Peter was. The gospel that I believe in principle has to be lived out in practice. So what does Paul do? Paul confronts it. Head on, nose to nose, toe to toe, confronts the issue. And what was the goal? Correction and restoration. That's the goal. So look at number two. Let's look at correction here, starting in verse 14. Paul says, when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, Paul doesn't mince words with us here. He calls it like it is. You can almost imagine Paul here nose to nose with Peter in front of everybody pointing out the hypocrisy of Peter. Saying, Peter, you can't do this, dude. The things that you claim to believe, you're not living out. You were hanging out with the Gentiles, but then all of a sudden these Jews show up from Jerusalem, men from James, and you're changing your tune? Paul says, no, 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 Peter, you're being wishy-washy. Your words are not consistent with your actions. I'm going to call you on it. Gracious. Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall during that interaction? you got Peter, pillar of the church. Apostle Paul, pillar of the church. Toe-to-toe, WWE, Royal Rumble. Fight for the title, you know? This is like insanity. He says, Peter, in one breath, man. You saw what happened in Acts chapter 10. You believed that the kingdom was for anybody. Now in verse 14, what is it, Peter? You're changing your tune. Practice what you preach. Walk what you claim to believe. Don't just associate with the Jews. Walk with the Gentiles. But then Peter kind of, or Paul kind of calls this out. Look again at verse 14. If you who are a Jew... Live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? I I love, I've read so many different commentaries on this this week, but let let me read this to you. This is what one guy wrote. Peter was only associating with the Jews, withdrawing from the Gentiles, and expecting, expecting that the Gentiles would desire to become Jewish because of his actions. Paul says, you've withdrawn from them, elevated yourself above them, and now you expect them to become like you? To quote our president, come on, man. Are you serious? Paul says, how do you think that's going to play out? Peter, practice what you preach. Stop acting like a hypocrite out of fear of man. And then he implants here verse 15. Verse 15 is a significant verse in this passage because I think a lot of of what we read here hinges on this. Look again at verse 15. Verse 15 says we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. What's going on right there? In that one phrase, what Paul is doing is he is exposing the sin that Peter was guilty of in this passage. This is so significant here. He is exposing the sin that was present in Peter's life that caused him to act the way that he did. Now, let me explain to you how this works. Every sin that you've ever encountered in your life, if you didn't know this, there's there's two elements to it. There's symptoms and there's roots. This is life-changing truth if you've never understood this. There's symptoms of sin and there's root issues of sin. And until we understand this stuff right here, y'all, we're going to have a really hard time defeating sin in our life. Let me explain this to you. Verse 14 was a symptom of Peter's sin. 
The way he was acting, that was the symptom. But in verse 15, we are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Paul is exposing the root, the root cause of why Peter acted the way he did. Let me explain it to you this way. Um, Let's imagine that tomorrow you wake up with a headache, okay? Because you're old. Welcome to this world. I actually woke up yesterday morning with a headache that I had the entire day because I slept wrong. (laughs) I'm that old now. (laughs) Never been there before. It was amazing. Let's say you woke up with, with a headache. No big deal. Take a little time long. You'll be fine the next day. But let's say that the next day you woke up and you had the same headache. It wouldn't go away with medication. You might start to get a little concerned day two. Day three, you wake up with the exact same headache. It's not going away with medication. By day three, you're probably getting really concerned. And what do you do? If you have the same headache for three days straight, you probably go to the doctor. Why? Because the headache is merely a symptom, simply a symptom of a deeper root cause. So you're aware of the symptom, but you need somebody to help you expose the root cause so that you can deal with it and get rid of the symptom that you're experiencing. Let's watch this again. Look look here in Galatians 2. Peter dining with the Jews only after they had arrived in Jerusalem was merely a symptom. That was an action that he engaged in. But in verse 15, Paul exposes the deeper root. What was the root problem? Peter's heart. There was something wrong with Peter's heart that needed to be addressed. What was in the heart of Peter? This was actually, some Bible teachers believe this was a phrase commonly used by Jews. Here in verse 15, that we're Jews by birth. This is who we are. We claim this. And we're not those Gentile sinners. You see that? That's a heart problem that Peter's exposing here. Because it wasn't uncommon, and we maybe saw that in the Judaizers, for the Jews to hold a little bit of prejudice towards the Gentiles. We're the Jews, God's people. Those are simply the Gentile sinners. We're Jews by birth. It's our birthright that we possess. We're superior to those non-Jewish people. And if you don't adopt the customs and practices that we have as Jews and become like us, then you will just forever be perpetually less than we are because you are not a Jew. You see, what Peter did was a symptom of a deeper heart problem that needed to address. If you don't kill the root, you're not going to kill what comes from it, those symptoms. And Paul confronts that head on without any hesitation. Think about this for just a second in your own personal life. Every sin that you may fight against, struggle against, has symptoms and it has roots. Friends, if all we ever do in our Christian life is fight symptoms, that's where you get a lot of self-help gospel. You're wonderful. You just need to be more wonderful. God thinks you're amazing. You need to be more amazing. You need to have more. Seek your God-given purpose. That's baloney. Why? Because all that does is put band-aids on the symptoms that you're dealing with in your life. What does the gospel do? The gospel says you are a wicked, wretched sinner whose heart is deceitful above all things. God said it, not me, so don't get mad at me. Is deceitful above all things. And the only hope you have is Jesus. If Jesus doesn't do a work on your heart, you will never defeat sin. Every sin we have is a heart problem we need to address. So how do we do that? 
We absorb the gospel. We say that to ourselves constantly around here. Preach the gospel to yourself daily, not just on Sundays. I have to constantly remind myself that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. That the sins I struggle with are because I have a deceitful, wicked heart. And I need Jesus to do a work in me and replace those things in my life. I implant truth into my life and my heart constantly. How do I do that? Not only through the proclamation of God's word, but through the study of God's word, through the singing of God's word. That's one thing, and I've said this a billion times, and I'll say it a billion more, that I love about our worship pastor. He doesn't sing songs because they're popular, trendy, or played on the river. No offense, the river. He sings songs and leads our congregation in worship and leads his team in songs that are saturated in biblical truth. Why do we do that? Because the only solution to our sin problem and our wretched hearts is the word of God and Jesus fixing things in us. That's why we do those things. We fight roots, not simply symptoms. And so Paul here exposes the root problem that Peter is addressing. And then what does he go on to do starting in verse 16? He preaches the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the solution to the root problem. Or point number three is this, celebration. Verses 16 through 19. When we say the word celebration describing these last verses, what am I talking about? It's the dismantling of the heart problem that was present here in verse 15. That's what Peter, or Paul is doing here. Paul is preaching the gospel to these, gen, to these Gentile believers, these Galatian believers, and reminding them of the truths of the gospel. Paul attacks the root with the gospel solution, verse 16. Look at verse 16. We know, there's a confidence, that a person is not justified by works of the law. The law can't save you. You can't save yourself. How are we justified? How are we saved? How's our heart problem fixed? Faith in Jesus is what he goes on to say. Even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. That was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because, the works, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Paul's correcting a mindset here. He says, and yet, despite what you think, here's the truth that we have to understand, that no one, Jew, Gentile alike, it doesn't matter, is justified by works of the law. It's an impossibility. Paul talks about that in Romans. It's an impossibility. You cannot be justified by the works of the law. The law simply exposes sin and exposes the need for a savior. Then he goes on to say, Jew and Gentile, how do we come to Jesus? The same manner. Neither one is superior to the other. We both need Jesus. We're only justified by Christ. So any superiority that the Jews might claim in front of these Gentiles, Paul says, that's false. Paul says, you're, you're just, hush, man. You don't know what you're talking about. We all come to Jesus on the exact same basis, Savior or sinner needing Savior. That's how we come to Christ. Then Paul goes on in verse 17. But if we ourselves are also found to be, quote, sinners, while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? He says, absolutely not. Again, verse 17 is a direct response to verse 15. In order to be saved... We have to acknowledge our sinful state. Y'all, no one is superior because of what group they were born into. It doesn't matter. We all come to Jesus on the exact same playing field. We are sinners needing saviors. I don't care if you're born in America, if you're born in Africa, if you're born into wealth or poverty. It doesn't matter. We're all the same in the eyes of God. We need a Savior named Jesus. 
Justification and salvation are found in Jesus. Here's, and we've got to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves. But the only way we ex- or that becomes accessible to us, excuse me, is when we acknowledge our sinful state. We've got to acknowledge that we're sinners who need saviors. Look at verse 10. Paul says, if I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. You see, for the Jews to call these Gentiles to run to the law would simply expose sin. The Jews believed it kept you from sin, but Paul goes on to argue here, he says, no, no, that exposes sin. It exposes your sinful state. Paul says keeping the law is not possible to keep it fully. You can't do it. We've been awake now, most of us now, for probably four hours. I'm going to go ahead and guess that you've probably broken some of God's command and you're only four hours into your day. It's an impossibility. We can't do it. It exposes how much we need a Savior. And Paul says if you try to tell people to run to that for their salvation, all that you're doing is causing them to be more lawbreakers because they realize how much they can't do it. Instead, who do we run to? Jesus. We acknowledge the sinful state and run to the solution, which is Christ. So when we're in Christ, we ultimately die to the law. Because I'm in Christ, the law no longer condemns me. Because Jesus absorbed the wrath of God on my behalf, he met the demands of the law for you and for I. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians that because of that, his righteousness is then imputed into my life. That when God looks at me, he doesn't see a lawbreaker anymore. He sees Jesus. Paul goes on, he's like, man, Peter, the law is binding, man. Trying to get people to follow that is binding. But we're called to freedom. Jesus has set us free. We're going to break that down more in depth next week in verses 20 through 21. But I, I, want, to, I want to really hone in on that, that one phrase we talked about at the beginning with hypocrisy. Man, I think that's such an important lesson for us here. Yes, we, we understand this, this idea of salvation is found only in Jesus. We understand all of that stuff. But I, I think this interaction here between Paul and Peter is pretty significant. Some of the questions I wrote down in my journal this week were this. Does the faith I claim on Sunday, so this is introspection for me, does the faith I claim on Sunday intersect my life on Monday? That's something worth meditating on. Here's another one I wrote down. Does the faith that I claim in principle affect the way I live? Does the Jesus who inhabits me overflow from me? Does the Jesus I say I believe in actually affect the way I live? Because what was that that phrase in the beginning? No one likes a hypocrite. And no one likes to be called a hypocrite. And here's the, I think of James when James talked about uh, looking in a mirror and then forgetting what you saw and walking away. God's taught me a lot in this passage. But one of the most challenging things is when the word of God exposes hypocrisy in your life. And that's something that I've really been dealing with this week in my own personal life, asking myself the question, if Peter, if Paul, I'm sorry, if Paul came to my church today, would he get in my nose and say, Aaron, what in the world, man? You claim this, but you live this. Are you guilty of hypocrisy too? Here's my last phrase and I'll pray. Make sure the Jesus you claim with your mouth 
is also the Jesus that defines your life. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for your goodness. God, thank you for your word. Lord, there's so much truth packed in this passage, God, in in salvation and justification and Father, our relationship to the law, the sufficiency of Christ, the sinfulness of our hearts, the hypocrisy that we can engage in. God, so much truth that we could take away from this, Lord. And I pray that you would take the words that I spoke. God, would you take them and, and, and place them, Lord, Lord the words that, that we need to hear into the hearts of each of us today. Whatever truth or lesson that we need to hear from this passage, God, would you take those and implant them into our hearts? God, whether that means we need to address hypocrisy in our own life. Father, whether that means that we need to address the root issues of sin problems in our own life. God, maybe we need to simply um, acknowledge the sufficiency of Christ for our salvation today and put our faith in him for the first time, knowing that we can't get to heaven on our own efforts. It's impossible. We need Jesus. So, Lord, whatever that truth is, Lord, I pray that you would do a work with that in our hearts today. Call us to repentance and a deeper faith and trust in you. God, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.